If you have your Bibles, if you could take them out, turn, turn to the book of Philemon. It is between Titus, right after Titus and right before Hebrews. That one page right there is the book of Philemon. And also, if you don't have the outline, you can pick that up right out the center doors at the ministry counter. When I was a kid, I used to watch Superman. He was, that was really big. Kids loved to watch Superman because he had all these superpowers, right? He had all these superpowers, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, right? And us kids, we were mesmerized by him. Man, this guy is cool because he's so strong and he can fly. Not too many people could do that, right? So strong and he can fly, and he had these superpowers. We all wanted to have these superpowers like Superman. As a kid, we used to pretend we were Superman. Let me ask you a question. As a child of God, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as Christians, as a family of believers, do we, does our family have any superpowers? Think about that. Do we have any superpowers? If you say yes, the answer is right. We do. We do have superpowers. All throughout Scripture, the Bible gives us, the Bible talks about these gifts and these abilities that we have through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. These are supernatural powers that we have been given to us by Jesus Christ that takes those powers and he empowers them. And he gives them supernatural abilities that we can do with these powers. And today I want to talk to you about one of those superpowers that we have as Christians. We have been in a series called Hope of Reconciliation, going through the book of Philemon. This, today we will end this series, we'll conclude this series and start a new Christmas series next week. We've been studying the book of Philemon. Can I present to you today that reconciliation is one of our Christian superpowers that we have, is reconciliation. Because reconciliation, when it's done right, has the ability to take two friends that are separated from one another and bring them back together again. Reconciliation has the power to restore broken families. When it's done right, that is, when it's done right, it has the ability to take children and parents and bring harmony between them. Reconciliation, reconciliation at a government level can take two parties that are in conflict with one another and bring resolution so there can be peace between them. It has the ability to do that, whether we realize it or not. It has the ability. That's the power of reconciliation. It can do all those things. One of the things I've learned about superpowers, though, is they're, not, they're only powerful if you use them, if you work them, right? They're only powerful if they use them. If you don't work them, they're never powerful. And all of us, and many of you as Christians, have this special ability of, of reconciliation, reconciliation, reconciliating other people, reconciling, or even in your own lives, but we don't work those powers. We never use those powers, and so they're not working. We don't see the superpower. We don't God, see working in our lives not doing that. So I want to encourage you as we study the book of Philemon this morning, not only be hearers of the word, but we be doers of the word. That we take what it says and we apply it to our lives, and we live it out, right? That's what God wants us to do. Not just to be hearers, but be doers of the word. And realize that one of the things what was for me to be able to forgive others who have hurt me is to recognize who I am in Philemon's story, and that's what we need to do. Who am I in Philemon's story? I am Onesimus. But if you don't realize it, all of you too are Onesimus. We're all Onesimus in the story, every one of us. You might be on the other side of places, but we're all Onesimus when it, between us and God. See, I'm Onesimus. You remember what Onesimus, what his part of the story was? Onesimus was a runaway slave who stole from his master, and he ran, ran from his master. It's a picture. He had to come back and repent. And by the grace of God, his master took him back and restored him 
back into the fellowship, right? And when we talk about Onesimus, though, when we look at this, and I don't want you to think about him being a slave as the, the sense that we have in our minds. It's not the same sense of American slavery as the transatlantic slave trade. It's not the same kind. Onesimus, more than likely, uh, from historical studies, was born into a section of the country that was poor. And part of the practice at that time, if you're born in a section of the country that was poor, you could go to someone who was wealthy, and you could basically say, in exchange for you taking care of me, taking care of my room and housing, my food and my clothing, that I promise if you do that for me, that I will serve you, that I will be your slave. And that's kind of what happened probably there, that Onesimus went to Philemon and said that, and uh, Philemon kind of agrees with that and receives Onesimus into his home. It was kind of the practice back then. Uh, but imagine that happening to you today. Someone comes to you and saying, you know, I'm going through a really difficult time, a really hard time, and I don't have any money. And I was wondering if you would let me come and live in your house. I don't have any money to pay for food or, or rent or anything like that. But if you let me come and live there with you, I promise that I will do work around the house, projects you have. I'll clean your house. I'll cook. I'll, I'll clean, I'll do all those kind of things. So wash your clothes, whatever you need to be to do if you let me come and live in your house. And maybe you say, okay, we could do this for a while, and you agree upon that. And here comes Monday morning, you wake up, and they've left, and they've taken some of your stuff. How would you feel? How would you feel in that happening to your life? Would you be a little irritated? Would you be a little slightly annoyed if that happened to you? Well, that's exactly what Onesimus does to Philemon. He does that to Philemon, and, and he, now Philemon, I mean, now Onesimus has to go back and ask for forgiveness and restoration, and we believe that he was taken back and restored. One of the reasons, because this book's in the Bible right now, in the canon, right? And we believe that that was put in here to give you and I a full display of what reconciliation looks like. Life theology, when it comes to reconciling with one another, we have this in the Philemon story right here. As I read this, I have a conviction that, that to realize that I am, to God, I am that runaway slave toward him. That I have a broken covenant with God so often in my life, like all of us, we've broken covenant with him so often in our life. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for my sins, reconciles us back to God the Father. Amen? And now I can be restored back home. I can be received back home because of Jesus. Amen? And I just want to say up front here that maybe you look at in this story and you say, yeah, I agree, I'm Onesimus. And hopefully you all agree with that. But maybe you say, boy, Onesimus stole and he ran, but boy, you should see what I've done. I've done so many things, ten times worse than Onesimus. The things that I've done in my life, I've hurt not only one person, I've hurt so many people, I've said so many things, I've done so many things, and I've got a list i got to tell you what I've done. I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you, but it matters what God did, right? That's what matters what God did. Because we're all sinners. And if you sin one time, it separates us from God. But it matters what God did. And what God did is sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And the shed blood of Jesus is greater than any sin that you can possibly commit. So the love and grace of God through his son Jesus Christ is able to forgive any and all sins that you've done, past, present, and future. To make myself clear. So there's no one here that says, I've sinned too much, or I've sinned too great, or too many times, or I've hurt too many people, that Jesus can't forgive. He can forgive all those sins. And all you and I have to do is come to him, and it says, by grace, through grace, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And we come and receive the forgiveness that God offers through his son, Jesus Christ, by faith. If you've ever done that, please do that today. But every one of us, and if you know Christ your Savior, you say, man, I've really messed up and I walked away, God's arms are open to you. 
ready to forgive you. Whatever you've done, right? We can all come to him. Nobody's perfect in this room. Nobody, including myself. We're not perfect. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. And we need his grace each and every day. And the blood of Jesus covers our sins. We're so thankful to God for Jesus, right? That he died for us. We're all, all the same place in that, right? But realize that God wants everyone to come to him. My question to move on is, what is your ministry? What, what, what do you do? Did you ever pray, God, show me my calling in Christ? You ever pray that? Or, or you pray, God, show me your purpose for my life. What is, what is your real purpose for my life? And sometimes we overcomplicate things in our life. We're looking for God's purpose, and we're asking for that. I know there's unique and specific expressions that God has for each one of us, our callings and our purposes in life. But before we ever get to unique stuff, before we ever get to that specific stuff that God has called each individual uniquely, don't overlook the general, clear, common commands that the Bible imposes on every one of us. That we all have some of those. That God says, do these first, and before you get to those unique and specific stuff, we should be doing this. If you were to ask Paul, the Apostle Paul, you know, what is the purpose of the Christian life? What, is God, what would God have us to do? What do you have all us believers in Christ be doing? I think the Apostle Paul will tell you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 would be the verse, where it says we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That everyone has been given that, the ministry of reconciliation. Paul would say, whatever you do, make sure you're carrying out the ministry of reconciliation in your life. That's the superpower to heal the world and, and uh, heal broken relationships. That God is able to do that, but we got to work that superpower. we got to exercise that superpower. I think Paul would say, that's your responsibility. That's what you should be doing. Every one of us, start there, and then you look for the unique stuff, the specific stuff that God has for us. But start with that common command that he gives us to be reconcilers of, to the world. Um, the Greek word that he uses for reconciliation throughout all of his writings means to restore to favor. Someone who's fallen out of favor, and now they're restored to favor. Can Jesus do that? Can the gospel do that? It absolutely can do that. He can do that. That's uh, what happens in human relationships. When a husband makes a mistake and he falls out of favor with the wife, can Christ restore that relationship? Absolutely. And when a child messes up and they blow it and they fall out of favor with their parents, can Christ restore that relationship? Absolutely he can. When business partnerships come together and one of the business partner partners lets down the business, not doing their job, can Christ restore that business relationship? Absolutely. On a group level, can God restore ethical relations, cross-cultural relations, where there's so much history of tension and hurt? Can God restore those? Absolutely. I believe God can restore all those relationships and more. See, Ephesians 2 tells us when Jesus died on the cross, that he was tearing down that wall of hostility. Not only between us and God, the wall of hostility between us and God, but between us and other people. Between people and people, he tore down that wall of hostility. And if God can tear down that wall of hostility, that wall between us and God, don't you think every other wall can come crumbling down under the love and grace of Jesus Christ? There's no wall can stand under the grace of Jesus, the love of Jesus, right? There's no wall can stand. He came to knock down all those barriers, all those dividing walls, all those, all those walls of hostility came to knock them down, Jesus did, so that we can have peace between one another. We have to see it. We have to believe it. And hopefully you believe that this morning. You don't think, oh, it can't happen in my life. It can. We have to not only see that as our personal mission in life, that in it is, but we have to see that the public impact of living out this 
ministry of reconciliation and what it can do, what it can do. As you live out the ministry of reconciliation, not only does it bless you and your relationships, but it can have impact on other people as we live it out. And that's what God wants. That is one of the big ideas that we're going to look at in Philemon. This morning, we're going to look at the opening section and the closing section of the book of Philemon. But one of the things we're going to find out from Philemon, Paul's message to Philemon is this, that the Christian life is personal, but it's not private. The same as your life. Your life is personal, but it's not private. And Paul was sh- trying to share this with Philemon. And it's an interesting, interesting lesson that we learned from Philemon because, because we're, we're going to see between there was tension between, a conflict between Philemon and Onesimus. It's a real deep personal matter, wouldn't you say, as you read this letter, if you really read this letter, it's a real deep personal matter. Onesimus has hurt Philemon. He's hurt. And now he has stolen from him, and there's a broken relationship between them. And now Philemon has been challenged to forgive Onesimus. And if you look at verses 4 through 22 of Philemon, we're not going to be able to read all of them, but we have in the last three weeks, we've read them. You find in the most part, the Apostle Paul is writing a personal letter to Philemon. He's telling Philemon to forgive Onesimus, and this is how you live it out. This is how you carry out reconciliation. Life theology, not just talking about it, but this is how you do it. He's showing him, this is how you do it. But I don't want you to overlook verses 1 through 3, what he's saying here. So let's read those this morning. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, probably Philemon's wife, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably Philemon's son, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what's happening in this passage, what Paul is talking about. Paul was encouraging Philemon. He said, you need to understand that though your life is personal, though your relationship with Jesus is personal, but what's going on between you and Onesimus is personal. It's not private. He said, it's not private at all what's happening. He said, you need to cultivate a greater sense and awareness of community in your life as a Christian that you are not a lone ranger, but you're part of this community. He was trying to, you're part of this greater community as followers of Jesus. And I believe that he's really encouraging us in the same thing, that you and I would understand that. That to cultivate a greater sense of community, what does it really mean? You say, how do you do that? And that's what I want to share with you this morning, if you have your outlines. Three ways to build a greater sense of community that we can have. And the first way, I believe it starts seeing the church as family. That we're family. That's what he wants, to see it as family. It's interesting, when you look at this letter and you examine it, that Paul writes this personal letter to Philemon. That's what it is, a personal letter to Philemon. But he says to Philemon, he says, Philemon, I want you to read this in front of your wife. I want you to read this in front of your son. And I want you to read this in front of the church. And Philemon said, wait, Paul, why? why? This, this is a personal matter. This is just between me and Onesimus. And Paul says, no, 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 no. What's going on between you and Onesimus is affecting the entire family, is what he's saying. And there are times where there's conflict between two people that affect the entire household, right? When there's a conflict between the husband and wife, not only affects them, but affects the entire household, doesn't it? There are t- certain times when two people are in conflict can affect the entire workplace. And maybe some of you are experiencing that. There are times two people are in conflict can affect the entire church. There are times where there's two parties in conflict can affect the entire nation. And we're living that out today, right? We experience it in our life. We need to be hungry for reconciliation. We need to seek it. 
But on a personal level, one of the things that we should be all be aware of in our own lives, that there are no such things as private conflicts or private sins in our life. There's no such thing as that. That's one of the bill of goods that Satan has sold to the 21st century Christian. They think that I can sit in private and it's not going to impact anyone else. That I can do it and it's going to, no one else will know about it. They even have commercials about that. What you do here stays here. But I can do what I want to do and it's not going to affect anyone else. Paul is saying, no, what happens in your personal relationship has public impact. It will impact others is what he's saying. So listen, when it comes to how you manage your relationships, when it comes to whether or not you're going to apply reconciliation in your life, just know what he's saying. The world is watching, the children are watching, and other believers are watching. So in this first section of Philemon, what we're seeing, we find out that the church is watching. Let's look at verses at the end section, the closing section, at verse 21. Verse 21. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Praise, praise God for Paul's confidence in Christ's work in Philemon's life, right? I'm confident of this because I'm confident in Christ. Verse 22. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You know what as Paul just did there? When you're this, Paul was saying, not only is the church in your home that meets in your home watching, but then he mentions names five leaders. He mentions Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. And if you combine that with Timothy, who he mentions in verse 1, he says, there's six leaders, Paul says, are watching this moment as well, you need to know. And what he's saying in Philemon, not only is your church that meets in your home watching you, there are six leaders, six emerging leaders that are watching how you live this out in your life. Whether or not you live out reconciliation or whether you refuse to live out reconciliation, they're all watching. Again, to remind us that though your Christian life is personal, it's not private. It's not private, guys. Don't think what I do here, what's happening in my home, it's private. It gets out. And people are watching. So we need to develop a greater sense of what it means to be a part of a covenant community, to be a part of this community as believers in Jesus, that our actions and the things that we do are affecting and impacting others. Hopefully in a loving and glorious way, we're impacting others, but we are impacting others, good or bad. That whatever you do, your actions, whatever you do, it's in private, it impacts other people, it does. It impacts the church, it impacts your family, it impacts your friends, it impacts your, your parents, if your parents are alive, your children. It impacts people all around you, it does what we do. And that's what he's kind of sharing with you. What you're going to do right, right now, Philemon, it's impacting everyone else. They're all watching. How are you going to live this out? And you can do great benefits for children and other believers in the world when they watch what you do here. And he's telling them, they're watching. The second way to build a greater sense of community is we need to pray for one another. Not only we're family, but we need to pray for one another, right? Uh, let's read verses 4 through 6. He writes, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Notice Paul's uh, uh, his focus is on praying for Philemon. He's saying, Philemon, I'm praying for you and I'm praying for Onesimus. It's kind of Paul was, wasn't selfish, right? He's praying for others is what we see here. I was reading something a, a while back and it was an article 
and they said there's one word uh, for our culture today, one word that would describe our culture today, and they said the word would be selfie. I didn't bring my smartphone up here, but you all know what a selfie is, right? Where you take out your smartphone and you take a picture of your favorite person, which is you, right? Which is you. The favorite person that you have is you. And if you look at someone's photo album on the phone, especially if they're younger, you're going to find a lot of pictures, and I'm not trying to anybody a lot of pictures of food in themselves right I don't know what people are so interested in taking pictures of food but they do because frankly I don't care what you eat for dinner or breakfast or whatever but some people do it praise God for that right and they take pictures of it and they post it on social media and stuff and what you'll find on social media is them at a concert them at a sporting event or them at a restaurant but people like to take so many pictures of themselves it surprises me they do they take so many pictures our culture is so self-consumed with self Today, that's our cultural moment where it's about self. But so is Paul's. Every culture is, whether you realize it or not. That's just part of human condition. They didn't have cell phones like we, we do today, but they definitely struggle with selfishness. Every generation does. There's not a generation that doesn't have problems with selfishness. But Paul bucks the trend here in Christ as we see this. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to pray for myself, but he says, I'm also praying for you. I'm praying for you. And, and developing a greater sense of community is when you and I begin to pray for the good of others. Not just praying for them, but I'm going to pray for the good of others. And you know you're getting this thing right when you start praying for the good of others. You're not just praying for yourselves. That I'm starting to get a good sense of this community thing, that I belong to a community. When I see other people in that community in which I'm in, like this fellowship right here, who have broken relationships or wounded and hurt, that I'm praying for them that I'm not just sitting back idly by and doing nothing. This gathering should be more than we all like the same pastor, and I hope you do, but you all like the same pastor, or we all like the same songs. It should be about family. We gather together as a family unit. We're coming together as a family, worshiping our Lord and Savior, and worshiping Him with everything that we have, right? Whole heart, soul, body, and strength. But we're together as a family. And when someone in the family is hurting, we pray for them. When someone has broken relationships and wounded and hurt, we pray for them. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. We sit in the sidelines. How many of you like the Chicago Bears? Oh, man, not too many people. <laughs> They're playing the Jets today, I believe. And maybe you like another football team. And, you know, sometimes people go to the games, but many times most people don't go to the games. They stay at home and they watch it on their TV in the comfort of their home where it's warm. They have their snacks by, and they watch it on the TV. Whether the team loses or wins, they go to work wherever they go the next day, and they don't say, hey, that team won or they won. They say, we won, right? They say, we won. Like they got their jerseys dirty, right? Like they broke a sweat. Like they did it all. And now the reality is there's a lot of fans that like to enjoy the fruits of the labor of others without ever getting in the game. And sometimes that's the way the church is. They're, they're, if we're not careful, if we're not very, very careful, we, we enjoy the fruits of others but never getting involved in other people's lives never getting in the game. We don't get involved in small groups or Bible studies. We don't get involved in praying for other people. And we don't get involved, and it's comfortable that way. It's nice that way. It's neat that way to kind of not get involved. But it wasn't the way that God intended it to be. He never meant it to be that way. See, church should be an engagement. It should be relationships, that we're getting in all kinds of relationships. And yeah, they might be messy, and they may have problems, but we get in relationships that we're supposed to be. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a part participator sport, right? We're to get in the game. 
We're to be engaged with other people and get right in the mix of it. Don't sit back and watch, but get in the mix of what things are happening. And it starts with prayer. That we begin to pray for people, praying for the good of others, and watch God bless them. That's what God wants to do, that we're praying for the good, not just praying, but praying for the good of others. I believe this whole reconciliation moment between Philemon and Onesimus would have never happened without Paul's prayers. That Paul was praying for them, this is what happened. And Paul's praying for these two, he said, hey, Philemon, I believe you can reconcile with Onesimus because I have been praying for you. For a long time I've been praying for you that this would happen. And maybe you can text someone or you can call someone or, or however you communicate with people. It's someone who's going through a, a challenging time, a difficult time that you know about, and say, hey, you're not going through this alone, but I'm praying for you. That would be nice, right, to let them know. You're not going through this alone, but I'm praying for you. How many believe God hears our prayers? Amen. How many believe God responds to our prayers? Okay, that's good. Here's the thing. On the other side of us praying for somebody, and, and there's going to be reconciliation. On the other side of us praying that there's going to be restoration and healing or whatever they need to have, don't underestimate the power of intercessory prayer. Don't under, underestimate that. Pray for someone who's going through a challenging time. Pray for them, for God's blessings, for God to help them, and then watch God move. I've always been surprised in my own life. You know, we all pray for ourselves. Let's admit it. How many prays for themselves? We all do. Everybody get their hands up. Come on. Everybody prays for themselves. We all do. Nobody, we pray. But I've often found in my life, I pray for myself. When I pray for others, it seems like, man, God did that. He moves in other people's life. And I started thinking about that, and I realized the reason sometimes I see God answering those type of prayers, because those are unselfish prayers. God responds to unselfish prayers. Praying for the good of others. See, when I'm praying for myself, let's be honest, a lot of times there's selfish prayers when I pray for myself. We all do it. When I'm praying for someone else, those are unselfish prayers. Well, I'm praying for them, an intercessory prayer on their behalf, and asking God to bless them. Hopefully you're asking God to bless them for the good, that God do something good in their life, help them where they're at, wherever it may be. Hopefully you pray like that, and watch God move in their life. God answers those type of prayers. He loves when you and I pray unselfishly. He doesn't like selfish prayers, guys. He loves when we pray unselfishly. doesn't mean we can't pray for ourselves. But he loves unselfish prayers where we're praying for the good of others. And that's what we're supposed to do, praying for the good of others. The third way to build a greater sense of community, and I like this, dare to do dangerous work together. Dare to do dangerous work together. I hope you didn't miss this. Paul dared to invite people to do the hard things with them, to do hard things with them. As we read through this letter, it's really easy to miss the small lines. And one of the most powerful lines is in verse 23. Uh, all throughout, Paul is talking about his co-laborers with him. He calls them fellow laborers or fellow soldiers, but not so with Epaphras. What does he say? How does he refer to Epaphras? In verse 23, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Paul was in jail, and Epaphras is in jail too, right? Why was Paul in jail? Because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Why was Paul in jail? Because he was saying, though Caesar may be emperor, Jesus is king. Amen? Is Jesus king? Jesus is king is what he was saying. And he was preaching in a polytheistic world that there's only one God. He was preaching in a paganistic world there's a moral lawgiver. We're all called to live under that moral law. And one day, we're all going to have to give an account. That was dangerous then, and it's dangerous now. And Paul was put in prison for that, right? Because he was preaching that then. That's why he's put in prison. And it would have been easy, very easy for Paul to say, don't hang out with me, otherwise you're going to go to jail. 
So if you don't want to do what I'm doing, don't follow me because you follow me, you're going to end up like I am in jail. But it's easy for him to do that, but that's not what he did, right? That's not what he did. Sometimes uh, in our world today, when we love someone, sometimes we let them off the hook when it comes to hard things, don't we? When it comes to something hard, oh, you know, you don't really have to do that. We try to let them off the hook. And when you have children, and many of you have children, one of the great things about being a parent as a child is you get to see their life unfold right before them, right, as, as a parent. Especially if your children are older, you've got to see their life unfold. So you get the popcorn, and you get ready, and you get to watch their life. And sometimes it can be a horror flick, right, as you're watching them. Sometimes it can be a comedy. But you get to see it all unfold before them. And as a parent, sometimes it's really hard to watch what God is doing in their life. If God has taken them through different circumstances, sometimes hard circumstances, sometimes hurtful circumstances, sometimes risky and seems like dangerous thing. And as a parent, we want to protect their children. And sometimes we might say, no, God, don't do that. That's too risky. That's too dangerous. Don't allow them to do that. Keep them away from it. I don't want them to get hurt. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul understood, that in the other side of hard things, there are huge, huge blessings. That if we suffer with Christ, we also glory with Christ, right? If we suffer with him, we will glory with Christ. What does this have to do with reconciliation? What does it possibly have to do, you might be asking? Here's what it has to do. Reconciliation is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's not easy. I'm not saying it is. Reconciliation is a hard thing. It's easy to say, I'm going to hold a grudge. It's easy to say that I'm going to hold on to bitterness. It's easy to say that I'm not going to forgive them. But you might be the person like Paul did with Philemon, and he looks at him and says, he says to him, you need to do the hard thing. You need to do the hard thing. Then you may have to look at someone in the eye and say, I know they hurt you, and I know you don't want to forgive them, but you need to forgive them anyway. That you might have to look someone in the eye and say, oh, I know you've been wounded so bad by them and what they've did to you, but you need to reconcile anyway. Don't let people off the hook when it comes to reconciliation. Encourage them to do the hard things. That's what we have to do. Encourage people to do the hard things. Remind them on the other side of hard things we've been doing for Jesus. And reconciliation is we're doing it for Jesus. On the other side of those hard things are huge, huge blessings in Christ. He will bless you if you do this on the other side of hard things. And so help, help them do the hard thing. Help them to reconcile. And maybe God's going to do that even in your own family. But we need to understand that whatever we do, we have to believe God. We have to trust God. That Jesus through us can help us reconcile broken relationships. Amen? He can do that in and through our lives. Believers in Christ, those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that's your superpower. You have a superpower. If we bring it to the party, if we use it, if we exercise that superpower, supernatural gift that God has given to us, reconciliation to reconcile with others in our life, to reconcile people to our God, but reconcile others. It's a superpower that we have. And where we can see families restored, where we can see communities restored, where we can see a nation restored if we use it. How many believe that God is big enough, strong enough, and able to do that? He's able to do those kind of things. He can do those kind of things if we exercise this superpower. He can't do it if we don't exercise it, right? If we don't work that superpower, he can't do it, right? It's only if we use it. And God has given us this superpower, supernatural power to reconcile people to God. Think about that. To knock down all the barriers, all the division, the blood of Jesus, and to reconcile us with other people and people to people. 
It's able to do that. If we exercise that power, in Christ we'll get much, much, much glory as we do that. He loves to see people restored together. He loves to see people reconciled together. That's why he came, right? The peacemaker. That's why he came. But one, on, on the other side of this, let me say, horizontal reconciliation starts with vertical reconciliation, right? We can't look to bring people together or, or be healed with other people before we're healed with Jesus, right? And the only way, way we're going to have this horizontal reconciliation with God is through Jesus, right? And as I said before, so many times we come and we want to list our sins. Of These are the sins that I've done before God, and I have all this list of sin. Well, if you've done one sin before God, you're separated from him. And we've all sinned. We're all sinners. We're born into sin, the Bible says. So we're all sinners. It doesn't matter how many sins you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it, how bad the sin is. That's not the point. The point is what God did and what Jesus did, that God sent his son from heaven and he died on the cross for your sins, and he paid completely for all your sins, all your past sins that you've done, all the sins that you're committing right now, and all your future sins, they've been paid for in Jesus Christ, so that you and I now can approach a holy, just, righteous God. But we have to come to him the way that he's provided. And the only way he's provided that we can have this reconciliation, that we can have this forgiveness of sins, that we can have a relationship with God, that we can be a part of this family of Christ, is through Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He paid the payment for you on the cross. He was your substitute. He took your place. He took the payment for all of your sins. And your debt has been paid for everyone in this room, for everyone in the world. But we have a responsibility with that, that you and I have to accept what he's done. We have to receive it. Because by grace, you've been saved through faith. So we have to reach out and we have to receive what Christ has done. It's a free gift. You don't do anything for it. You don't pay for it. But you have to accept it. So it be applied to your life. It's already happened. He already died for it. It's already been paid for. But you and I have to accept it. And the way we do that is by faith. By simply coming and saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today I put my faith and my trust in Jesus right now. And if you've never done that, accept him by faith. Drive that stake in the ground and say yes to Jesus. And if you've accepted Christ at some time in your life and you walked away, today he's ready to take you back. Just confess your sin, and he'll take you right back. If you still have questions about that, please come and see me today. Uh, not long ago, I got to pray with someone, and they wanted God to forgive them. They prayed, and they're able to walk away with the peace of God, knowing that they were forgiven by, by God through Jesus. And that's what God can do for each and every one of us as we pray, knowing that we're forgiven through Jesus. And we all are through Jesus. Amen? This series, as I said before at the beginning, is concluding today. But the truths of the series of Philemon, of reconciliation, uh, must live on. It must live on. It lives on through you and I as we, as we share this. Let's use our superpower, okay? Let's commit to use that supernatural power that God has given each and every one of us, second, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the ministry of reconciliation. If we use this power, we're going to see God do some magnificent, wonderful, exciting things in our own lives, reconciling people to God, reconciling people with others, maybe reconciling people with, between us and others. That God can do that. Do you believe that? And we promise, I don't know, did you believe, do you believe that? Let me say that again. Okay, yes. And he pro we promise, as he does that, none of us will take credit for it, right? We give all the glory, the honor, and the praise to God because he did it. Because it was Jesus who died on the cross to tear down all those walls of hostility, 
between Jews and Gentiles, between God and, and man, mankind. It was Jesus. Between us and other people, no matter who they are, we can have peace with them through the power and the blood of Jesus Christ, through the love and grace of Jesus. Amen? So let's use that superpower in our life. Let's see what God will do in our hearts and minds. So I pray this morning that we'd realize, guys, we're just broken vessels here. We're just instruments of God's grace, saved by his grace, and we're to live by his grace. And God wants to use us and give us abilities and gifts that we might function as the hands and feet of Jesus in a world that desperately needs him. That we might share Christ in that ministry of reconciliation. We might see many people saved. We might see many people reconciled, families reconciled, parents reconciled, friends reconciled, all kinds of people reconciled with the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sends us out as these broken vessels, saved by his grace, instruments of his grace, testimonies of his grace, right? And the power of his grace and strength. He sends us out. Let us be willing vessels to go out, okay? Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We praise you, God, because you love us. We praise you, God, because you created us to be your children. And Lord, but we sinned against you, and you came to fix the problem that we created. You came and you died on the cross for our sins, so we might have forgiveness of sins and be restored back to your family. And we're so thankful. None of us can stand up and take credit for our salvation. None of us can take credit for anything that we do. Lord, all credit and glory and honor and praise goes to you. So Lord, I pray for that person this morning may not know Jesus. I pray they all do, but it might be someone that doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't been reconciled to you through your son Jesus. I pray this morning, Lord, help them to see their need. They're a sinner, separated from a holy, just, righteous God and the need of a Savior. I pray for their soul this morning, Lord, that they would turn toward you and trust Jesus Christ for Savior. I pray for them. I pray you just work in their hearts and minds. I pray for us, Lord, that whatever is going on, all of us that know Jesus Christ for a Savior, who say that I'm a follower of Jesus, that, Lord, that if we have any sins that's before you, that we would confess them, confident in knowing that you will forgive all sins. The Bible says, 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us that from all unrighteousness, knowing that you will that you will forgive us our sins and restore us. And right now, Lord, work in our hearts and minds that we might confess our sins. We might get right. And Lord, you would give us the confidence and boldness to realize that you've given us supernatural abilities and gifts that we might serve you in a way that we couldn't do on our own, only by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And one of them is this is the ministry of reconciliation. And every one of us has been given this, to be able to go out and share this with people, to reconcile people. And I pray that for each person here, that you'd give us the boldness and confidence, that we'd make a stand for you this morning. And say, God, help me to live my life in the empowerment of that ministry of reconciliation that you've given by sharing Jesus Christ with people. That's what they need. That's what the world so desperately needs, a hurting world. Uh, people who've broken relationships, they need Jesus. The only one who can reconcile them. And help us to realize that, Lord, that we have the answer, that we've been given that supernatural ability through the power of your, your spirit, by the power of Christ, to take the message of Jesus to people who desperately need to hear it. And no one we're going to talk to, Lord, that you haven't already working in their hearts and minds. So, Lord, you've gone on before us, before we ever talk to anybody, before we ever share with anybody, before we ever meet anyone. You're already working in their lives. You're already working. 
to understand you're already at work. You're already doing the work, and all we have to do is be faithful servants, faithful vessels, ready to be used by you to share the words, but you're going to do all the work. To understand you're right there with us. We're never alone in what we do. Help us to realize that in our hearts and minds. Humble us this morning, Lord. Sometimes we think we got to do all the work, that we got to do all the heavy lifting, that we're the ones that break the sweat and do all. But you did it all for us. And all you're asking us to do is be your willing vessel to share with others how they can be reconciled to God through Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation, how they can be reconciled together, as the apostle Paul did with Philemon and Onesimus. Help us, Lord. Give us the words. Give us the boldness. Lord, what we really need is the willingness that we get off the sidelines and get engaged in the game. And I pray that for each person this morning that would be engaged in the game as we went through this book with Philemon, learning about how to live out reconciliation. All of us have relationships that uh, probably need to be reconciled. We know people that have relationships that are broken and reconciled. Help us, Lord, to make this book real in our life, this life ethology that we work out the supernatural superpowers. And Lord, we promise to give you all the glory and honor and the praise. But you deserve it all. There's only one who came to die on the cross for our sins. It was you. There's only one who loves us enough to give their lives, not just for, for people they, they like, but people who hated them. And you gave your life for us. There's only one who would do that. There's only one who's uh, built a home for us for all of eternity. It's you, Jesus. There's only one who sent their spirit to indwell us. It's you. There's only one who can say that they will be here for all of eternity. It's you. And you've given us all these promises because there's only one that can truly promise us anything. It's the, the one who is eternal. And that is you. So we're so thankful to you that all that we have and all that we will be and all we're going to have in the future is because of you. We praise you and we thank you for all that we have. And we give you all the glory and the honor and everything that you, you deserve. And so, Lord, we come as broken vessels today to be used by you. And we promise to give you all the glory. And, Lord, we ask all these things in that most precious, most powerful name, the peacemaker in our lives, the name of Jesus. Amen.